I was telling Callan in the back that I think I've just about lost my voice, so we're going we're gonna to hope that I can make it through this and still talk. If not, I hope you guys know sign language. That'll be what I'll have to speak in the last few minutes. Um, but I, I, I wanted to start once again by just saying, whoops, if I don't kill myself, thank you. Um, this has been just a tremendous honor for Christy and I. Um, uh, it, it really is just really special to be able to come and to share some thoughts with you guys. Um, the congregation you have here, the togetherness, the hospitality, all of the love that's here, it's just truly amazing. And all these kids that have been here all week is just such an inspiration. I want to thank the congregation, especially the house parents, for making that happen. I know it's a lot of work. I know that's been said before, but I just wanted to echo it. Our kids, when they were young, well, Brooks here anyway, uh, but when they were younger, they still had the opportunity to come, and, and they, they made lifelong friendships here. And that's because of what y'all do, and I appreciate that very much. And I just want to commend you for it, uh, to the extent my commendation means anything, but I, I really do appreciate it. And I just wanted to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I want to thank Van and Diana for their hospitality. They've gone, as usual, above and beyond. All of you who have had us in your homes, I just want to tell you thank you. It's just really been fun. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this just maybe a tenth as much as I have. And if you've got a tenth out of it as much as I have, then, then maybe we're good. Uh, I really hope you've enjoyed it. Tonight as we close, I want to talk about, whoops, I'm going to get this right one of these days. Tonight as we close, I want to talk about what the cross teaches us about perspective. That was a good song to lead up to this sermon. I want to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ and what that means to us whenever you and I analyze our perspective in this world. And I want to start, uh, and you know what, I have, uh, whenever I went to the New King James Version, I have now completely lost the scripture reference. You're going to have to trust me, this is in the Bible. I, I guess whenever I did it, I lost the, I lost the scripture. But the Bible says somewhere, <laughs> from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever or whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it a man, to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, Peter had a very human reaction here. Jesus tells his disciples, look, I'm going to have to be killed. Peter was, you know, pretty gung-ho. And so Peter says, nope, that's not going to happen, Lord. Far be it from thee. We're not going to let that happen to you. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus' reaction is pretty tough. He says, get behind me, Satan. And he says he's an offense. And he says, why? For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What was wrong with Peter? Peter's problem was he had the wrong perspective about the cross. Peter had a perspective that focused on something different. His focus was on the promise of Jesus as being physical. And I'm sorry, that's a little small. But the promise of Jesus as being physical. You see, Peter thought Jesus was going to be a physical king. He didn't understand that Jesus' mission here was one of sacrifice, of propitiation, of giving himself for his, his flock. 
Jesus reacts strongly as we've talked about, and he identified exactly the problem as we've talked about. He then goes on to teach the disciple a lesson about how radically their perspective needs to change. He tells them that to follow him requires that they change from being focused on themselves to instead being focused on denying themselves. And that's a pretty big radical change. He tells them that seeking, rather than seeking to save their life, they should be more interested in losing them. And that must have been a hard thing to hear. Maybe whenever we first read that passage, if you can remember back that far, maybe when you read it, you went, hmm, what does that mean? Got to lose my life? What Jesus is talking about here is that you and I have to change our perspective so that we are not so focused on our life, our needs, this world, that we lose the big picture of God's plan. And folks, we live in a world that will drag us down every single day, and it'll destroy your perspective. You'll get up tomorrow, you'll get in the car, you'll turn on the radio, maybe, if you like the radio. You'll hear a song that's a secular song, maybe, and maybe your mind will go somewhere. Or maybe you, like, like many of people I know, like to listen to Fox News on the radio. Well, your blood pressure will be about, you know, 600 over 300 by the time you hit the driveway. You know, our perspective changes because the world bombards us with stuff that is not spiritual. And Peter was no different. Peter had a problem, and that problem was that he couldn't see past the physical, and that's the problem. You know, the cross is the most compelling example of why perspective is crucial for a Christian. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, to the world, they, the world has a view on the cross. To those that do not believe in Christ, to those that are caught up in the world, the cross is failure. The cross is death. And the cross is the end. It is the defeat of Christ. Secular writers writing about Christ at this time talked about the fact that his disciples, their, their, their faith and their belief was all in vain because Jesus had been crucified. But of course we know better because we know the rest of the story. It's true he died, but he also resurrected again on the third day. And so to a Christian, we have a different perspective. The cross isn't defeat. It's the ultimate victory. The cross is not death. It's life. And the cross is not the end. The cross is the beginning for us because it is the, it is the beginning of our reconciliation. It is the beginning of our, our, in, our closeness with, Christ, with God, our forgiveness of sins, our sanctification, our salvation. All of that begins at the cross. And so the cross teaches us a lot about perspective. And so I would like to talk a little bit about certain things that maybe we get caught up in in this world and talk about the perspective that maybe you and I might want to share on these things. You know, we focus on a lot of things in this earth. Maybe you focus on your job. That's hard not to. You know, whether it's because you don't have one, or because you'd like a better one, or you'd like a promotion, or you're worried about what's going on there. Whatever it is, for those of us who have a full-time job, the job can really consume a lot of effort and a lot of attention in our life. It just does. We may be worried about money. You know, I don't, you know, if you've never had money problems, congratulations, but money problems sometimes can be very, very difficult. I remember when I was in school, uh, I was at uh, HBU, and I was uh, not a very financially responsible person. Um, I'm not sure I've ever really changed that. And I had spent every last dollar that I, I had 
and I had nothing to eat. I had no meal plan, no money, no nothing. And my dad had to meet me in an empty parking lot in downtown Houston to give me a cold chicken sandwich. That was pretty tough. <laughs> I was trying to study for a test, and you know what? It was distracting. Now, that is a minor problem because that's just a college kid who doesn't have any money, and there are millions of those all over the world today. <laughs> we tend to be perpetually out of money when we're in college. But money can be a very big drag on us if we have money issues. Sometimes we don't really have money issues. We've got really a ton of money, but still money drags us down because we're worried about how to invest it and whether we're going to lose any of it and how much we're going to leave to our kids and we're, you know, all of that. It could just really drag us. Health. Health could be a very serious issue for us. We all know those that have very serious health issues. That can cause us to be, to be drugged down. Completely understandable. Entertainment. You know, maybe we focus on trying to entertain ourselves. You know, whenever you focus on entertaining yourselves, there's not a lot of time sometimes left for God. You know, if what you do when you get home from work is, you know, talk to your spouse about what movie uh, you're going to go see that night every night or what restaurant you're going to go to every night, then what never happens is the Bible never gets undone. The Bible never gets looked at. Nobody ever talks about it. Instead, it's just, what can I do to feed and keep me not bored all the time? That can cause us to take up a lot of our time politics. We've talked about that. I won't belabor that. We're not going to belabor it tonight. Don't worry. But politics can cause us to have a heavy drain. We get worried about that. I'll give you, you know, sometimes we can worry about it pretty early. Bryn, my oldest daughter, I told this story, I think, to somebody earlier. But Bryn, my oldest daughter, we got a phone call from the, from the uh, teacher when she was in kindergarten. And the kindergarten teacher said, we need to talk to you. That was a little concerning because we didn't know what they wanted to talk about. So we went to go talk to the kindergarten teacher. And the kindergarten teacher said, we had the kids list their five biggest fears. I said, okay, well, what did Brent say? And the teacher said, well, her number one fear was taxes. <laughs> so Brent had money problems and politics problems all at one time at the beginning of her life. You know, a kindergartner with tax problems, that's a big deal. When she was asked, she said, yeah, my grandfather watches too much Fox News. So that was the explanation of that. But, you know, too many times we can get caught up in these things, and they can really bring us down, and a host of other things that can, that can really cause us to lose some perspective in this life. Over in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, If you then were raised, or then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, whenever we're a Christian, if we do it right, our perspective changes. Things just get different. And all of a sudden, instead of focused on the earth, if we do this right, we are focused on things that are spiritual. You know, we've had other times in our life where we've had perspective changes like this. For those of you who are parents, can you even remember what life was like before you had kids? I, sometimes I can't. What I remember is, is that there was a lot of, it seemed like there was probably a lot more free time, and I don't know, we just didn't have the same concerns. And then you have kids, and wow, things change. And all pretty soon, it's, it's kind of a lot about the kids as you try and raise them and care for them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and worry about them, you know, it could change your perspective. And Christianity ought to be that way for us. In James chapter 4 and in verse number 4, the Bible says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And too many times, if you're like me, and I'm here to confess this right now, too many times I find myself wrapped up in the world. And folks, whenever that happens, we're losing out on many things. And one of the things we're losing out is the blessing, the blessing of a Christian perspective. I wanted to end the meeting this, this evening on an up note. 
And what is beautiful about a Christian perspective is, you know, too many times people say, oh, well, Christianity, you know, yeah, you know, you put in some hard years, you know, you kind of, you have to sacrifice yourself and, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice. All that sounds really tough. And then maybe one day if you work real hard, suffer enough, enough blood, sweat, and tears, maybe you'll make it into heaven. I don't know where we got that idea. You see, the whole point of Christianity is a better way of living. It is a better way of existing. Because of the perspective that we have as Christians, the things that get this world all balled up in knots doesn't ball us up in knots. So again, I want to talk about some things tonight. I want to begin with money problems. An earth-centered perspective, worry, uh, an earth-centered perspective worries about getting ahead or being able to make ends meet. And I get that. I understand that. Sometimes we don't have enough money, and that could cause some real serious strain. But, you know, the Christian can see this as a problem if he has confidence or she has confidence in God that will be taken care of because God's word says that his providence will work for us. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, Jesus there says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, if, and remember, there's a condition, and too many times we miss this, if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. Sometimes we just kind of lay in our bed and open up our arms and go, okay, God, hit me with some, some manna. I need some money. I need some food. I need some whatever. Well, that's not the way this works. See, God says if you are seeking after the kingdom of God, and if your perspective is right and you're doing the thing God wants you to, his providential care is going to watch, watch over us. We need to believe that because it will. You know, also, when we talk about money problems, the Christian can even see it as a blessing. And that's something that you and I need to have a perspective on. That sometimes hard times can be a blessing. Let me explain what I mean by that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And when having food and clothing, which there, which with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown man in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let me tell you something. You know what a lot of money does? It'll, it'll begin to kind of get your heart if you're not careful. You'll begin to worry about that money. And folks, if we have money problems, a perspective could be, you know what, God's going to take care of it, and I don't have to worry about the greediness sometimes that could come with a lot of money. Let me see if I can give you an example of that. Whenever I was in, in college, my last two years of business school, before I went to law school, I was a stockbroker. Why they let uh, an 18-, 19-year-old kid be a stockbroker, I don't know, but they did. So as scary as this is, I was managing people's money at the age of 18 and 19 years old. And you know what? I would, people would call, and they'd place orders, and you know, and they, the stock market would go up and down. And I remember one time there was a big case that Joe Jamel, was a famous trial lawyer, was trying. And there was a lawyer in town, and he came and he said, I'm going to bet on Joe Jamel. And he bet an extraordinary sum of money. And he lost. He lost a lot of money. That guy was very distraught. And you know how upset I was? Not much. You know why? 
First of all, it was his choice, not mine. I didn't recommend it. I even told him he shouldn't do it, but he did it anyway. So score one for the 18-year-old. But the other thing is, is that I was, a, I was the same college student that met my dad in a parking lot to get a cold chicken sandwich. I didn't have any stocks and bonds. I mean, that stock market could have gone to 50000 It could have gone to zero. I didn't care because I didn't have anything invested in it. Folks, when you invest in this world, let me tell you something. The world's going to take you on a roller coaster ride. You're going to go up and down and up and down and up and down with everything that happens in this world. And if that's where we put our perspective and if that's where we put our focus, you're going to get nauseated before too long. But let me tell you something. If you put your perspective on God and say, you know what, the rest of this is going to take care of itself. I'm seeking God first. That's a straight ride. It's a nice ride. God's providence watches over you. And we need to understand that. Health problems. You know, our center perspective has a hard time sometimes dealing with health issues, and that's understandable. Because unless we're a doctor, health issues are kind of concerning many times because we don't know how to treat them, and sometimes they're very serious, and I understand that. And I know we've got folks that have very serious health issues. And that's tough when you have an earth-centered perspective. It's tough, tough anytime. But let me tell you something. A Christ-centered perspective makes that different. It helps. It helps. I'm not going to tell you it makes it all better, but I'm going to tell you it helps. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what a Christian knows? What a Christian knows is this thing is temporary. And, and it's, good, it's a good thing because I've got a lot of warranty claims on my tent. I don't know if you got, I've got all kinds of problems with my body that I need to have fixed. It wears out. There's aches, there's pains, there's all kinds of stuff. A Christian says, you know what? This is just temporary. This is, this is a blink. This is nothing. A, heaven is eternity. And that's what matters is the soul. You know, and sometimes when we get that understanding and we understand what that is, well you know, we can kind of begin to have a little bit of a better perspective about some of these things. Now, I'm not telling you that makes all the worry go away. I get it. But you know what? We can look at it and we could go, you know what? There is something, something just tremendous waiting for us, no matter what happens to our body in this earth. We have heaven if we have Christ. And folks, that is, <laughs> that is a place that we can't describe, really. It's going to be wonderful. And a Christian has that perspective you know, in fact, the Christian may even feel a little conflicted sometimes about health problems. Maybe not. But for some people who have certain, you know, kind of uh, a perspective, it might. And Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 23, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul understood this. Paul said, look, you know, I... I'm kind of conflicted here. I mean, if I live and I, and I, and I keep going, I, I get it. I'm going to have some fruit, and that's good here on the earth. And so I understand that's important. But Paul had his mind on heaven. Paul saw how good heaven was, and he said, you know what? I, I just, I can't wait. I can't wait. I want to go. You know, about the, I don't know. I, I don't have any good analogies for this. About the best I can do is whenever my grandmother and granddaddy were alive, we usually spent Christmas Eve with them. And Christmas Eve with them was fun because all of the family was together. We usually had a bunch of food that we had no business eating. And we usually, you know, had some presents. But, it was th but for our family, the, the present day was Christmas. So 
there were times whenever we would sit there and we would talk on the way over to grandmother and granddaddy's house about, yeah, yeah, this is going to be fun, but man, I cannot wait for tomorrow. Now, that is a pretty poor example. I'm sorry. That's a bad analogy for heaven, but that's about the best I can do. You know, there's some good that will happen to us if we live our life right in this earth, and that's great and everything. But let me tell you something. It is nothing to be compared to heaven. And a Christian perspective will understand that. And you know what? The world looks at that and it can't understand it. Can't. I've visited people in hospitals and those folks are facing very serious issues. And you know what? They're at peace. And the reason they're at peace is because they got their mindset straight on heaven. And they know what's coming. And they know how terrific it's going to be. And what a blessing that is. Just what a blessing. It is. What a tremendous weapon. Let me tell you something. If you have the perspective of the world, this is devastating. Death is the final end for people who have a, a, a perspective of the world. There's no nothing after it. That was really bad English, but just forgive me. There's nothing after it. And so, folks, this is why having a Christian perspective empowers us to really live a life that is changed, and that is so much more beneficial and happy because we are focused on the right things. The cross is another thing. We talked a little bit about that. You know, Peter, through an earthly perspective, saw the death of Christ, and what he saw was the end of hope. He thought all hope was lost. That was Peter's perspective. No, no, we're not going to let you die. We can't let you die because that would be the end of us. But Christ, through his heavenly perspective, saw past this earthly crucifixion to an opportunity for us to live in heaven. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Aren't you glad that when Christ was kneeling in the, cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane that he had a perspective about the cross? Let me tell you something, a eh? Christ that had the perspective of Peter about the cross would have been running out of Jerusalem as fast as he could. A, a, a Christ that had the perspective of Peter about the cross would never have said, not my will be done, but yours. You see, Christ humbled himself to the cross because he knew that by doing that, he would deliver us and sanctify us and save us. And thanks be to God for that. So let me ask you about yourself and your perspective on yourself. How much time do you spend worrying about you? Self-centeredness is a big problem. We talked a little bit about that this morning. I want to spend a little more time talking about it with you this evening. This is a big one for me. Everybody laughs. Am I hungry? My kids make fun of me because I organize vacations around restaurants. Uh, that's the way I am. I got to go to, you know, whenever one time we were coming back, there was a good restaurant that I knew about. I organized the flight so that we would have enough of a layover so that we would leave the hotel, the airport, go to the restaurant and come back in time to catch our flight. The only ally I had in that was Brooke because Brooke's kind of liked me in that respect. So me and Brooke were for it and Christy and Bren were upset. I spent a lot of time thinking about food. And thanks to you guys, I spent a long time thinking about food this week. <laughs> you know, we spend a lot of time doing that. Am I bored? This is another one. Do you ever worry about that when you're at home, don't have anything to do? Am I bored? And you start to worry about what, what it is that you want to do? Am I liked? Do people like me? Do people think well of me? And you get all balled up in anxiety about that. Am I fulfilled? Have I done enough? Do I feel like I've lived a fulfilling life? 
Am I respected? Do people respect me or do people not really respect me? You know, there's all kinds of things that we can spend our life spending and just chewing up time worried about ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, the first eight verses, Paul there says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here Paul makes the point that we don't need to be self-centered, conceited, or vain. And to try and convince us of that, he points out that that was the opposite of what Christ was. And that the entire, his entire coming to the cross and giving himself for us was his submission to God and his submission or subjugation of himself so that he could follow what God wanted him to follow. And let me tell you something. Whenever you and I follow ourselves all the time, we get to be a pretty ugly person. People notice that whenever it's all about you. They do, and it's not nice. You know, when I was a kid, teenagers are notoriously selfish, and I'm not our teenagers, I know. You guys are great, but Brent Benoit as a teenager was pretty selfish. And I remember we had a storm come through Baytown, and we had a lady who went to church with us. Her name was Sister Bernie Green. And Sister Bernie Green was a widow, had just been widowed, and she had a bunch of trees in her backyard, and they were walloped by that storm. And on one Saturday morning where... I had in my mind that I was going to do a lot of things that were going to serve myself. And I don't know what they all were at that time. I'm sure they were very important. They were probably something along the lines of playing video games or watching some sporting event or going outside and hitting a baseball or something like that. You know, things that are really important spiritually. My dad comes to us and wakes us up early in the morning. And he says, we're going over to Sister Green's house to help clean her up. Boy, the belly aching. And it wasn't just me. I'm not going to throw anybody else under the bus, but their names sound like uh, Brad, Brian, and Brandon. I'm not sure if Brandon was alive back then. But anyway, all of us started belly aching. We didn't want to go. We had plans. We were important teenagers with busy schedules. You know what? Dad said, you're going anyway. And we went, and it was hot. And we worked. And we cleaned up that entire place. And you know what happened? Sister Green was so thankful. She's a little old lady. She's super nice. You know what she did? She went out and she bought us hamburgers. I remember that. And I don't know where she bought them from, but boy, they were the best tasting hamburgers. See, I told you it all comes back to food. They were the best tasting hamburgers that you could ever have. And the point of that is not to tell you how to get a good hamburger. The point is, if she wouldn't have bought a single morsel of food, we felt good about that. Now, it's a shame on us that we had to be forced to do it. But it taught me something. It taught me that whenever we lay down ourselves a little bit and we start to serve others, we can feel pretty good about what God has called us to do. When we achieve financial success or some blessing, sometimes our self-centered selves, a me-centered perspective, begins to think about what this means for me. You ever done that? I don't know, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, uh, most of the things that I invest in tend to fall through the floor 
Uh, I joined my company, an oil field company in 2015, and oil has been falling like a rock ever since. So I may not know a lot about this, but I'm going to tell you, whenever we do have financial success, whenever things come to us good, let me tell you something. The first thing we start to think about is, what can I buy with that? What can I invest with that? What kind of vacation can we take? Can I get a new car? Can we remodel the house? Can we buy a new house? Can we build a house? There's all kinds of things we begin to think about. Reminds me of Luke chapter 12, 16 through 21. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We need to be careful. We need to be focused on laying up treasure in heaven and not treasure for ourselves. And you know what everybody says about this verse. I'll say it too. I, 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 all through this verse. Me, 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 me. And too many times that's the way it is. But you know, another center perspective begins to think about maybe how we can serve others with it. You know, if we have a good heart, sometimes we can think, you know, I could use a little bit of this money to help somebody out. Maybe I can contribute a little bit more to the Lord's work. Maybe I could support one of our efforts in India or Nigeria or Belize. You know, we begin to think like that when we have an others-centered perspective. And I know we've got a lot of folks like that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know, too many times we take possession of our, of our wins. You know, we, we, we make an investment, it goes up, and we, you know, strut around like a proud peacock and go, look what a good job I did. Folks, God gives us a lot of our blessings, all of our blessings. The money we've got came from God. Our ability to get that money, to think about how to invest that money, that came from God. And folks, we need to be good stewards of that. It's kind of an ugly thing when you think about it. If God pushes a pile of money across the table over at us, and he asks us the question, which he does, what will you give to me? And we say, me, 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 and we rake it all into our lap. That's a pretty ugly scene. And we need to think about that. When we are faced with a decision and we have a me-centered perspective, we focused on what will be best for us. What will benefit me? What will glorify me in this decision that I'm about to make? And too many times that's all we think about whenever we think about decisions. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 10, Peter says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despised authorities, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. These are people that are just eaten up with themselves. But you know what? When we have an other-centered perspective, we intentionally subordinate that self-will, and we seek the good of others. I've got an example there. I'm not going to read it, but remember Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Has there ever been a more powerful example of the submission of self-will? Here is the master, the one who's about to give himself, Serve in the most amazing way possible by giving himself on the cross. And here he is washing the disciples' feet. And he did that for a reason. And he did it to teach them that they needed to serve others. Folks, when we serve others, when we make our decisions, if we can, thinking about how it will impact others and whether it's going to hurt others, we're going to make better decisions. We're going to live a happier life. 
I've made a lot of decisions that were focused on me. And you know what happened? They ended up hurting other people because I just wasn't thinking about them. And folks, we need to be careful about that. A Christian perspective will take care of that. Let me ask you this. How much do you think about time? You may be thinking about it a lot right now. When is this guy going to stop? It's not, not too much longer. You may be worried about how old you're getting. I, we were just talking about this outside <laughs> before church started, about how fast everything goes. You know, it really does. It just seems like yesterday that I was one of the kids running around here. And, uh, and now I'm 50. And that went by like nothing. I don't even know where it went. I remember when Brooke was just born. I can tell you exactly where I was whenever Christy called me to tell me that she was going to the hospital. And, uh, you know, here she is. She's uh, already out of high school, first year of college done. It goes fast. And so sometimes we worry about that. Worry about how fast your kids are growing up. We just covered that. Worried about whether you'll have enough time to do the things you want to do. In First Chronicles, now I'm sorry, I apologize, but uh, I realized that I did not have the scriptures up, so we're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way in the last couple of minutes of this, so I'm sorry. But in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 15, and I'm really sorry because I didn't think ahead and I brought my King James Version up here, so you are going to have to bear with me. I apologize. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. You know, we worry about time so much, but really we're worried about something that is just like that. It's a blink. It is just a blink. And we get so worried about this life, so worried about how much time we have here, and we don't understand that we are really trading, uh, making a very horrible trade. We are focused on this world rather than being focused on eternity. You know, if somebody came to you and said, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. You can have uh, this dollar right here, or you can have $5 million. Which one would you take? Well, that's not a very hard decision, is it? Somebody says, well, anybody who chooses the dollar is is just kind of silly. Folks, we make that decision every single day. Because that dollar is the time that we have on this earth. And the $5 million is the time we have in eternity. And it's really not $5 million. We can't count it. It doesn't end. And yet, we make that silly trade every single day. We worry about stuff in this world, and we lose perspective on the, on the cross, and we lose perspective on heaven. And we need to think about that, because that is not a good trade for us to make. In the 39th Psalm and in the 5th verse, the 39th Psalm and in the 5th verse, the Bible there says this, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. And so we just have a very short period of time on this earth, and we need to understand that. You know, an earthly time focus sees our lives as limited to the here and now. And, and I don't know, you know, I bet every one of us at some time has kind of thought about that. That's why we worry sometimes about how long we're going to live on this earth. We, because we just can't help it. We're in this earth. And too many times we begin to think and see this earth as it. But you know, an eternity, uh, a, 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 a Christian-centered perspective or an eternity time focus means that our lives and recognizes that our lives are a vapor and great eternal and a great eternal existence is waiting for us in the future. In James chapter 4 and in verse number 14, James chapter 4 and verse number 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. 
So how do, how do we spend time? What kind of perspective do we have on that? And earthly time focuses on and tries to cram all the pleasure we can into it. You know, I used to, you know, uh, there was a game, uh, I forget a game show called Supermarket Scramble, I don't know, some kind of game, where you get a minute and you get to run through the supermarket and grab as much as you possibly can and try and get as much value as you can. You know, that's the way we live our lives. We go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm already 30. Well, I got to get moving. I got I got lots of stuff to do. I'm 40. Oh, I gotta, I'm 50. I got to really move. And we run around like chickens with our heads cut off because we act like this is it. You know, a Christian goes, this is just temporary. I've got something more important. You know, the prodigal son was that way. The prodigal son couldn't wait. He didn't have an eternity focus. He had a now focus. So he has the audacity to go to his dad and say, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I don't got time for you to give me your inheritance after you die. I need it right now. And we see what happens. When you have an earthly focus, guess what you do with your money? You spend it on earthly things. And he went and wasted his living, the Bible says. We need to have a Christian perspective about these things. An attorney focus tries to redeem it, not to consume it on pleasure, but to work uh, for the Father while we are here. I'm going to read just one of these verses in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are the household of faith. Here Paul calls them to say, look, pay attention to how you're living your life. Sow good things, serve people, and you'll reap good things. The most important thing you'll reap is eternal life. But look, if you want to be consumed by the world, if you want to go all in on this little 70, 80 year, whatever, 50, 60, whatever it is, time period you've got here compared to eternity and you want to put all your chips in that basket, go ahead. It's a terrible trade. And you're going to sow what you reap or reap what you sow. That's what, that's what a Baytown God does with farming. When you, you're going to reap what you sow. The cross. Peter was focused on an earthly time frame and he saw the cross as an end as a failure. Christ was able to see that the cross was temporary and that there was more beyond it. He saw, he saw the time on the cross that this was not just about now it was about later as we close i want to talk about a couple of examples here as we go in in matthew chapter 16 verse number 21 matthew chapter 16 and verse number 21 the bible says from that time forth began jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day then peter took him and said, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from me, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said, Get behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now the reason I read this all over again is to get to verse 26, to give you the context. For what is a man profited? If he shall, he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, the reason the cross is such a victory for us is because it's about the soul. It's about saving our soul. It's about us living forever in heaven, and what a wonderful, wonderful blessing that is. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 59, as he was being crucified, as he was being stoned to death, not crucified, but stoned to death, and in verse number 59, they stoned Stephen, calling on God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What would you have done if you had been Stephen? I might have said some things. 
Maybe not anything that sounded like what Stephen did because I probably had an earthly perspective. See, Stephen was looking to heaven and he understood, look, this, there's something more important than getting vengeance here. These people need Jesus and they need redemption. The widow, you remember, we won't turn over there, read, but in Mark chapter 10, remember the widow had two mites, just two little mites. She goes and she throws them into the treasury. And remember all the old rich people were coming by and at that time they had containers and when the rich people came, they had coins. They didn't have dollar bills and checks. So when they dumped all their coins, it made a big racket and everybody knew, whoa, that was a big contribution. But you know what? They were given just a small portion of what they had because they were rich. And this widow comes, she's got two mites to her name. She gives it all. She gives it all. Why'd she do that? Because she was focused on, the, on something different than the earth. She was focused on God. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse number 8. One of my favorite verses or set of verses in the Bible. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto the death of Je- for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, and we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What wonderful words. Paul was able to say, you know what, we've got a lot of problems. We're, we're being persecuted, but you know what? We're not distracted and we're not distressed because we understand that this is about things that are eternal. And our light affliction on this earth, whatever we have to bear, is pretty small compared to the glory that we're going to have in heaven. Folks, do you believe that this afternoon? God is going to bless us tremendously. If only we will follow him. Have some perspective about these things in your life. Don't lose the perspective tomorrow. If you feel yourself slipping, think about the cross. Think about how the, cro- the world looks at the cross and they mess it up because they, they don't get it. They don't get that it's about eternity. Focus on eternity. Do not make the trade to trade this life for your eternal soul. If you're here this evening and you have not yet obeyed the gospel, we would love to help you. Folks, it's time to have an eternity focus about how you're going to deal with this. There's nothing, nothing, if you're committed to following Christ, there's nothing that should prevent you from naming the name of Christ tonight and being added to his kingdom. Don't wait. I don't know what the issue is that you're waiting for, but whatever it is, I guarantee it falls into some kind of earthly focus. A spiritual focus will focus on the cross, focus on saving the saving power of Christ. We'd love to help you if you know that it takes believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being willing to repent of your sins, confess his name before man, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. We'd love to help you. Or maybe you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you have trouble with perspective. 
Maybe some of the problems of this life have got you down and you just need some help. I get it, we all need to get there because we're all human. And if you need the prayers, we'd love to pray with you. If there's one of either case, come forward while we stand and sing the song of invitation.